0: And to those of you joining us online, I just want to say welcome. My name is Jacob. It's such an honor that you would spend part of your week with us. As Pastor Michael said just a little bit ago, we want you to come see us in person. There's something unique and special about God's people coming together to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So make plans to come and see us. We want you to know you're invited, you're welcome, and you're valued here in this house. May to those of you in the room, thanks so much for being with us. I just want to take a quick minute, and I just want to say thank you to all of you that have already given so sacrificially to our next step. It's such an honor to have each and every one of you see the value of sowing seed into the kingdom of God. And what an awesome, awesome, awesome story it is to know that $650,000 has been raised in the last 30 days. Come on, can we give God some praise? So good, man. Listen, we're coming together December the 3rd, and we're just believing that we're going to bring our absolute best sacrifice that we can bring, and that we're just going to get rid of the money conversation, and I'm constantly reminded that The door that God opens, no man can close. And we're living in the midst of that miracle right now. And what an honor it is to be on this wild, crazy ride known as Merge Church with each and every one of you. We're in part three of this series, Battlegrounds, where we're talking about the battleground of our mind. Because our thoughts really genuinely matter. So we take serious the battle. of our mind, and we kicked off the series with this concept that you cannot have a positive life with a negative mind, and our thoughts are like trains. They are taking us somewhere, so we have to intentionally engage in the battleground of our mind. Negative thoughts are invaders. Negative thoughts come to rob you of God's plan for your life, to destroy not only you, but the legacy that you have an opportunity to leave. So we get ready for the battleground of our mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's giving us some indicators of the fight that we are in. He says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons. Everybody say weapons. I hope y'all aren't fighting with that kind of a spirit. Everybody say weapons. weapons. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God And we take captive, we demolish and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Everybody say this, we fight fight for for our future. We're in a fight for our future in the battleground of our mind. And last week, we talked specifically from the concept of a stronghold. And for this message, I want you to think about a stronghold as being this, a negative pattern of thinking. A negative pattern of thinking that leads you down a negative pathway in your life that creates negative habits. See, what the Bible calls a stronghold, science might call a neuropathway. And I know some people get really uncomfortable when you say the Bible and science all in the same sentence. But what I want you to see, what I hope your eyes are open to today, is that the Bible foretold what science would discover. So, what we call a stronghold from the Bible, science might call a neuro pathway. A neuro pathway being what? It, it, it's a pathway, a groove formed into your brain that allows you to do things without you even consciously being aware that you're doing them. Most of you to get here today had to travel through some stoplights, some traffic signals. My hope is that if the light was green, that you went, right? Because green means? Yellow. And my hope is that if the light was red, that you stop, because red means? Stop. And if it's yellow, it means go really fast. <laughs> and when I say a neural pathway, here's what I mean. When you're driving and you see the light turn from yellow to red, you don't consciously say, Brain, I need you to tell my right foot to exit the gas pedal and to begin to apply pressure to the brake pedal. It's something that just happens in the ordinary course of your life. You don't get in the car and say, I really hope I remember to stop at the red lights. See, it's a neural pathway that is formed. A stronghold is a neural pathway of negativity. It's that groove in your brain that always leads to a negative place, a negative thought. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. You can't accomplish that goal. You can't really ever measure up to the genuineness of that dream. We have neural pathways about many things in our life. We're going to participate here for just a moment because I want you to see what I'm talking about. So we're going thumbs up for good. Thumbs down for bad whenever I, I give you something. So, mornings. The work day should start at 10. Can I get an amen? Football. Raising kids. How about marriage? Husbands is a freebie. Get your thumb up. I'm helping you. You can instantly answer the question. You have what we would call a gut reaction. A gut reaction is a neural pathway it 's this default response that your brain automatically knows the answer to and processes and sins when we allow negative neural pathways what that is that 's a stronghold it 's a stronghold in our lives and Paul is saying that you and I fight with weapons of divine power that have the ability to demolish strongholds and to take captive every single thought that ever enters our mind and to make those thoughts obedient to Jesus Christ. Paul goes on and he writes this really incredible passage. He says this, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform, but be transformed. This is a passage that some of you may have heard, but the reason that we constantly go back to passages like this is because it's reminding us of this really powerful truth, which is this. Your mind has the potential to change. The world wants to tell you that you cannot change, that you cannot step into a new future, that you are what you are and you have no ability. That's a pattern of the world, a pattern of negativity, a pattern of distrust, a pattern of disunity. Those are patterns of the world. But we, as believers in Christ Jesus, have an opportunity not to conform, but to be transformed. Your mind has the ability to change. No longer do you have to be bound by negative thoughts, by strongholds. You have divine weaponry in the spiritual warfare of your mind that gives you the ability to demolish strongholds and to take captive thoughts. This really matters because when you change your mind, you change your life. We're preaching this series right now because we're entering a season of triggers. You ever hear the word triggered? It's a word used to describe when we see, experience, or think something that leads us down a stream of consciousness towards negativity. A trigger is an initial thought that triggers the the, the stream of consciousness. Thought after thought after thought takes you all the way back to this place of negativity. I'll give you an example. We hear the word football. Football. And most of us are like thumbs up, but I I hear the word football. And and to this day, I think back to being 12 years old, playing for Butterfield Junior High. And I think about traveling to Fort Smith, Arkansas to play the Derby Rangers and two tough Tony Owens, who was 28 in the seventh grade. (laughs) Cracked my head so bad I couldn't see straight. That's a trigger. Football takes me to two tough Tony Owens. It's a stream of consciousness that unwinds something in my life and takes me back to a negative place. I'll give you another example. When I hear raw onion, I think back to this time when I'm sitting in the back seat of my mom's car, and we had driven through the Taco Bell drive through and my sister wanted a bean burrito without onions, and she takes the first bite of this bean burrito. And it's evident that there were onions in the bite. And my mother looks back at her and says, if you throw up in this car, I'm going to give you a whooping. <laughs> Followed by, just hearing raw onion takes me back to this place. It's a trigger. It's, it's a stream of consciousness, this neuropathway in your life. And so we have to demolish The strongholds, because God wants to see you transformed, not triggered. Transformed by the power of the gospel. Transformed by the new life that you have an opportunity to enter into. And it matters because we have a tendency to justify the response to our triggers. One of the triggers in my life is that when... My kids get out of my wife Kristen's car, and they open her car door in the garage. They hit the wall to the garage every single time. It's, in fact, miraculous. You could park in the middle of the garage, and they will figure out how to make the door reach the wall. There are times when Ben will get out of the car and he will not have yet made contact with the wall. And I think, golly, we really turned a corner. He'll hit it with his backpack and smash the wall like over and over. It doesn't matter what you do. They open the door, they hit the wall. They open the door, they hit the wall. All I can think to myself is, why didn't I build this house with a cutout big enough for these doors to open? What I want to do every time they open the door and they hit the wall, I want to yell at them. And I could justify that response. I'm teaching them that you got to take care of your stuff and that that wall matters and that car door matters and so you're going to have to learn to follow this rule and, and, and I could get mad and angry and I could justify my response to the trigger because when the Door hits the wall. I think back to what my dad would have done to me when I was six if I had hit that garage wall with that car door. If we aren't careful, we justify our response to the things that trigger us in a negative way when the actual goal is to find a new path. Paul says, Be not conformed, but be transformed. The transformation is mine not theirs. What I want to happen is I want my kids to stop hitting the wall with the car door. I want their behavior to be transformed so that I'm no longer triggered. The trigger is real, but the transformation is mine, and the transformation occurs in my response to the things that trigger me. I know we want to change everybody else. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is about changing you first, transforming you into Christ's image. And in doing so, it will change your response to the things that trigger you. So how do we ultimately do this? Just a few thoughts I want to share with you today. The first thing is this. We do it by thinking on God's word. We transform our minds. We fight with the spiritual weapons that have divine power that God has given us by thinking on God's word. Not just reading it, but thinking on it, contemplating it, settling in it. Be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I can read that, but until I think on it, I'm selling myself short. So so I pause and I go, be not conformed. Okay, what's a pattern of this world that I'm conforming to? That leads me to the question of what's a pattern of this world? Again, negativity, distrust, disunity, anger, frustration, sinful behavior, patterns of this world. Okay, now I'm thinking on it. And then I go, hey, am I conforming to any of those patterns? And then I stop and I say, you know what, Holy Spirit, I give you authority to illuminate in my life the things that I'm conforming to that need to then be transformed. And that may be one of the most challenging prayers that anybody could ever pray because the Holy Spirit has a really bright flashlight. And he'll begin to illuminate in you. But I'm thinking on it and then I'm going, man, how could I be transformed? And as I'm thinking about how I could be transformed, inevitably the Holy Spirit will lead me back to the word of God. Where there'll be some revelation about how transformation can occur. And then I don't just read it, I think about it. Thinking on God's word creates a neuro pathway of positivity of life in your mind. One of my favorite things about seeing my kids evolve in their learning is that all three of them have like been obsessed to tell me when they learn simple math problems. Like they get home and they're like, you're not going to believe what I learned today. It's like, what did you learn? Two plus two equals four. All three of my kids have been so excited to like two, and they want you to ask, right? They want you to ask them so bad. Like they're like, I learned math today. Ask me a question. And you, you're trying to decide if you're going to be nice, dad, in that moment or not, right? Like, you know, I don't, I don't know. And so you, you, it's, it always starts with 2 plus 2 equals 4. I don't know why. That's just where we go, right? 2 plus 2 equals 4. And then you give them 3 plus or 6. 5 plus five, ten. My youngest son, Ben, I mean, listen, Benny Stonehands has got a rough life, okay? And so Benny... He comes home from school. He's like, you're not going to believe what I learned today. I'm like, what? He's like, math. I'm like, all of it? Yeah. (laughs) Ask me. Ask me anything. What's 2 plus 2? 4. What's 3 plus 3? 6. What's 5 plus 5? 10. At which point in time, Collier goes, what's 37 plus 49? (laughs) And the meltdown on Ben's face. Like, "What? we didn't cover that one. (laughs) Now, Ben knows enough math to get the answer to 37 plus 49, but it takes some time for him to process it and to work through it because 37 plus 49 isn't on the flashcard and hasn't created a neural pathway in his mind. But two plus two has been gone over so many times that it's automatic. It's intuitive in his life. When you simply read the word of God It's good. It gives you the ability to get to the answer. But when you think on God's word, what happens is it takes you to a place where it becomes intuitive. And it forms a pathway in your mind. So when the devil shows up and he begins to speak negativity, immediately God's word in your mind begins to speak life and hope and joy and love and security and renewal and restoration. This is why worship is so important. We're singing out the word of God. And how many of you know that the melody helps it stick? The song, Good Plans, as Sean said, is from Psalm 23. It says, surely your goodness and mercy will follow after me. You know how that starts in your life? Surely, surely his goodness and mercy will follow after me surely that will happen. I don't know. Maybe, surely, it will. And then as it becomes a part of your life and it begins to create a new neural pathway, what happens is you go, no, 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 surely, surely his goodness and mercy will follow after me. And then as you continue to ponder and think and be transformed by the word of God, you get to a place where you go, no, 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 surely, his goodness and his mercy will follow after me. So, enemy, you have no voice in my life. We demolish strongholds and we take captive our thoughts and we make them obedient to the word of God, but we can only do it if we're actually thinking on God's word. It's why I worship is so important, it's why kids' ministry is so important. Last week, after church. We're sitting with my daughter, Ava, and she's doing the hand motions, and she's repeating her memory verse to me. And you know what? It's a reminder to me. It's a reminder that we're creating neural pathways that have the ability to demolish strongholds, to remove triggers, to overcome the voice and the pattern of this world when it begins to tell her, you're not beautiful enough. You're not smart enough. You'll never be able to accomplish it. And she goes, no, no, no. Surely his goodness and his mercy will follow after me. So we make this commitment to being ingrained in the house of God so that we can think on God's word because the knowledge of God is what demolishes strongholds. So don't allow the knowledge of God to be secondary to anything in your life. And all of this matters because every single day you're passing on something to those around you. To your kids, to your spouse, to your family, to your friends, to your co-workers. You're passing on something. Do you want that to be negative thoughts or positive thoughts? Faith or fear? I'll summarize it like this. Do you want it to be the word or the world? Because you're passing on one or the other. A pattern of the world or the word of God. We think on God's word. And maybe you hear that and you're like, oh man, I don't think I've done a great job leaving that kind of legacy. I want to encourage you today. The transformation of your legacy begins with the transformation of you. And you have an opportunity today to say, I'm going to demolish strongholds. I'm going to take captive every single thought and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. We think on God's word. The second thing that we do is Compare your thoughts to God's thoughts. Compare your thoughts to God's thoughts. Our brains really only have the ability to process one thing at a time. Our brains have the ability to process about 800 words a minute, so we can jump from thing to thing, but at any given time, we're only processing one thing. If you sit down to make a, a pros and a cons list about something in your life, when you're working on pros, you're thinking about pros. When it, it shifts, you go to the cons, and you're thinking about cons, and whichever way you're biased so that you can make that list a little bit longer is the one that you tend to spend the most of the time thinking about. But you're not actually thinking positive and negative at the exact same time. You're bouncing from positive to negative, negative to positive. But both thoughts don't exist at the exact same time. And so because we know this, we always have to compare Our thoughts to God's thoughts to make sure that there is alignment in what it is that we're thinking. Because you may think something that is good, but it still may not be God. Paul illustrates this to us in Philippians 1 and 23. He says this, I'm torn between the two. See, there's two things in my mind. There's two things that I'm considering, and I'm torn between the two. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. It's a good thing. Paul's like, hey, I desire to depart this world and to be with Christ Jesus. That's a good thing. Then he draws the contrast. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He says, I'm thinking a good thing, which is that I'd like to depart and be with Christ. But the God thing is that I stay here, that I remain in the body of Christ. This is a serious emotional struggle. He said, man, I've done my work. I've ran my race. I'm tired. It's my time to be with Christ. That's what I really want in my heart. That's a good thing. But Paul compares his desire, his thought, to God's thought. And in doing so, he reaches the conclusion that he is to remain. Paul recognized that he could only own one thought at a time. So he compares and he contrasts. And this is so valuable because Scripture tells us that our minds can be depraved, troubled, sinful, dull, blinded, corrupt. So we're always comparing our thoughts against God's thoughts. Why does this matter? It matters for others. Paul's thought was really good for him. God's thought was good for humanity. If Paul exits the earth at this point in time, the gospel hasn't yet reached Europe. And it's not that I don't think God would have figured out a way to fulfill his purpose and send the gospel to Europe, but we don't know when and we don't know how and we don't know who it would have involved. But Paul surrendered to God's thoughts, not his thoughts, even though they were good thoughts. So we think on God's word, and then we compare our thoughts to God's thoughts. And maybe you're like, how do I know if it's God's thought? God's thoughts are for his mission. That's what he's reminding Paul of here and now in this moment, that his thoughts are for his mission. And Paul trusted this truth, that God's thoughts come from a higher place. Isaiah 55:8 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts... Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we think on God's word, his thoughts represented in scripture, and then we compare our thoughts to God's thoughts, trusting that God's thoughts are higher than ours. And here's the really good news God wants to share his thoughts. And God wants us to focus on his thoughts. So he makes them available to us in and through his word. And you can't have a positive life with a negative mind. It's illustrated in this concept. Thoughts are much like seeds. You're sowing your thoughts. And if you sow a thought, you'll reap a deed. And if you sow a deed, you'll eventually reap a habit. And if you sow a habit, you'll reap a character, who you actually are and become. And if you sow a character, you'll reap a destiny. Your destiny begins with a thought. If it's negative, you'll find a negative destiny. If it's down and out, you'll find a down and out destiny. But if your thoughts are positive, God's thoughts, what God says about you, who God says you are, you'll reap a destiny of those things. Now, lawyers love to do things in reverse order. We love to know what the end goal is, and we work ourselves there. So let's back this up. Let's do it in reverse order. I have to decide what I want my destiny to be. And when I know what my destiny needs to be, It determines what my character needs to be, who I have to be to fulfill this. And when I know what my character needs to be, I know what habits I have to form. And when I know what habits I have to form, I know what deeds I have to do. Because you got to do it once before it can become a habit. And then when I I know what deeds I need to do, I can get to a place of thought. Let me illustrate this. I want to have a destiny as a great father. I want my kids to look back at the end of my life and know that they had a father that loved them, that valued them, that cared for them, that fought for them, that protected them, that defended them. It's a destiny that I want. It's a legacy that I want in my life. So what character do I need to have to fulfill that destiny? I need the character of the heavenly father to be a good earthly father. So I need to be kind and loving, merciful. I also need to be just. I need to be consistent because the word of God tells us that God is unchanging. So consistency matters. It's a part of the character that I know that I need to establish. So then I back up and I go, okay, what habits would reflect that character? And I go back to that word consistency and I realize that I need to consistently be present and available in my kid's life to be representative of our heavenly father, so that I can reach a destiny of being a great father. I need to be consistently present physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally because God, the heavenly father, is consistently available to us. And so I know the character that I need to form. Then I go, okay, so I need habits of being there for my kids, being around in those things, so I go, okay, it's gotta start somewhere. I gotta have a deed. I'll give you just one small example. This past Monday, I had a crown fall out last weekend, and so I had an unexpected dental visit, and the dental visit went quicker than I thought that it would. And so at that moment, I had this thought, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna pick the kids up from school. It's it, it is oddly warm. I'm off oddly early the leaves are changing, and I took my kids to Lake Fort Smith, and we had just an incredible time. We ate pizza. We played tag. We ran around. We threw rocks. We jumped on rocks. We did all of these different things. That was a deed reminding me, right? So it starts with a thought. I think I should go get my kids. turns into a deed. I actually did it. Then it reminded me, you know what? I need to do that more often. Needs to be a habit where my kids know that just randomly dad's going to take off work and say, you know what, the church can wait. All of that will be there tomorrow. He values me more than those things. And so I show up and I'm physically present, emotionally, spiritually, relationally engaged with my kids, knowing that that's. The habits and and the the character in that moment is represented grace and mercy and joy and love. Because that's what my Father, the Heavenly Father, gives to me. So my destiny as a great Father starts with a thought. That becomes a deed, that becomes a habit, that becomes a character, that becomes a destiny. So I don't know where you want to go in your life, and I don't know what you want your legacy to be, but I do know this. Your legacy begins with a thought, and you have to view yourself in the way that the Father views you, worthy of the sacrifice of his one and only Son. And when you let that sink deep down into your soul, you'll be transformed, and no longer will you conform to the pattern of this world because you'll be fighting from a heavenly place. I said, man, you know, this is a season of triggers. The holidays and all of the stuff. And so can I challenge you? With just one more thought. Remove the trigger. Demolish the stronghold. Take captive the thought. Remove the trigger. There's a pastor in Montana. His name is Levi Lusco, And he lost a little girl to an asthma attack. And he writes extensively about it. And I had some time to be in a room with him one time. And he was talking about removing the triggers the things that took him back to the bad places of that experience and i know when we say that some of you're like you you, are saying he shouldn't remember his daughter no triggers take you to negative things you should always remember the good the valuable the godly the pure the just the righteous the joy filled the laughter but remove the triggers So he removed the things that took him back to the negative places around that experience. And he kept the things that allowed him to embrace the joy of having his little girl. Hebrews 12 12 and 13 says it like this. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. It's a reminder to clear your path. Remove the roots, remove the rocks, remove the obstacles so that you can get to where you're actually intended to go. You know that car door that Ben opens and he hits the garage wall with over and over and over and over and over and every day. One day I was really tired of him hitting that wall with that car door. So I got on Amazon and there is someone that is a pure genius and this individual must have experienced the same hardship of my life and he invented this rubber mat it's about this tall and you can get it as wide as you want to get it and it goes on your wall like a sticker you don't even have to use a tool goes on your wall like a stick. So you open your door, you mark the height at which that door keeps hitting the wall. And then you can pave a path as wide, as long, as straight as you want it to be so that no door can ever again hit the wall. You know what I was doing? Removing the trigger. Ben can open the door and hit the wall all he wants now. It's just a rubber mat. It doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't cause any harm. Now, why wouldn't I just yell at him and make him stop? Here's why. Because there are a lot of fights that I have to pick with my kids, and I want those fights to be about things of character, not over stuff. So I removed the trigger that was frustrating me so that I could fulfill the destiny of being a great father but being available, present, consistent, just, righteous, as holy as I can be, loving and joy-filled, so I could show up, and it all starts with the thought, because your thoughts determine the direction of your life and the destiny that you'll ultimately reach. And I know it can seem like such a challenge. And like how do you, how do you really remove the trigger? How do, how do you make it through the season? I would encourage you to do this. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author in Hebrew says, make the path straight. Have you ever tried to walk across a room in a straight line, looking straight down at your feet? It's extremely difficult because I don't have a line, right? I'm just trying to gauge it. I'm just trying to get one foot in front of the other. And by the time you make it to the other side, what you find is that you veered off course and you never even knew it. But if I want to walk from this side of the room to that side of the room, if I look at that exit sign, I see a target. I see a goal. I see something that anchors my path. And I get my eyes up, not looking down, but fixed on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of my faith. And I now have the ability to walk in a straight line to the destiny that he's called me to walk to we got to stop looking down at our feet. we got to get our eyes up, fixed on Jesus and say I'm fully committed to his mission, to his thoughts, to his ways, which are all higher than my thoughts and my way because I'm committed to having a positive mind and winning in the battleground of my mind. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all that you are, all that you've done. And, God, we simply declare that you are more than enough. God, I thank you for the way that you love us and care for us and value us. And God, I pray that we would get eyes fixed on you, that we would step into this season and that we would think on your word. We would allow it to genuinely transform us in our minds. And God, I pray that we would compare our thoughts to your thoughts, even the good ones, so that we make sure that we're staying on mission. And God, I pray that we would have the ability to fix our eyes on you and remove the triggers to demolish the strongholds and to take captive every single thought to win in the battleground of our minds. And maybe you're in this room or maybe you're watching online with heads bowed and eyes closed and you would say, Jacob, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never really fixed my eyes on Jesus and said, you're my savior, you're my hope, you're my redeemer. But today, I wanna begin a new journey. We're all gonna say this prayer out loud and together as one big family and I just want you to repeat it with me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying for my sins. Today, I acknowledge that you are my savior. Amen. Hey, look up at me real quick. If you said that prayer for the first time, if you're watching online, or maybe you just re upped your commitment to Jesus Christ, would you do me a huge honor? Would you grab one of the blue cards in the seat back in front of you and fill that out and check the box, or you can scan the QR code that's right there on that card and do it digitally? But we want to know about the decision that you made, and we would just love and be honored by the opportunity to reach out to you this week and to answer any questions that you may have, and to point you towards your next step as a believer in Jesus Christ. I love you guys. Thanks so much for being a part. Let's give Jesus some praise.